Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. anger, accept or grief and acceptance. And so what we have to do is realize that we will be pinging like a ping pong ball between grief and anger and denial and bargaining until we eventually come down and settle at radical acceptance. And this is the real key to start off any discussion about COVID-19 is have we given ourselves the opportunity to move out of the panic barometer of oh my God, what's going on, to how am I going to survive this, to ultimately getting to a point of saying, how do I access my new genius? How do I utilize this time to develop new skills so I can help my community around me? So I think it's really important to become aware of these emotional states and give them the attention they require so that we also aren't too hard on ourselves when we are sobbing or angry or denying or waiting for it to go back to normal, which I I don't think ever will happen. Oh, we have somebody else joined us. <laughs> so I do ask you, sorry, just a second, guys. Uh, I do ask you that you turn off your cameras. However, um, sorry about that. So, uh, so uh, John, thank you so much. And I think it's so important because, as you mentioned, you know, we tend to go into that panic mode, and I think it's it's very relative. And I think that everybody is going through the same thing, but it's almost not. I think accepting it is beautiful, but it's not serving us in the future as well. So once we accept it, then what is next? So we've worn our our memories, and then you know now there's also a lot of talk about this new normal, right? So we, we talk about uh, you know this new normal. What do you think about that? Is it is it really that a new normal? Is it going to be? you know, a mixture of both. How do you prepare for the new normal? Do we have control of what the new normal is going to look like for us? Well, look, I, I get this question a lot. Obviously, being a faculty member at Singularity University and being a, a, a associate partner of Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, this question comes up a lot for me. It's like, what do we prepare for? How, what's it going to be like? And to be honest with you, I don't think anybody can tell you because the dramatic shifts and the domino effects of how education and commerce and business and economics and banking and healthcare, all of these things changing at one time, nobody can tell you what's coming. But what I've been suggesting to all my clients and everybody that I've been doing a webinar is burn your ships. In other words, forget about going back to normal. And the reason I say this is, if you are in the bargaining phase of we going back to normal, I'm just going to wait this out. If you are in the denial phase that everything's going to be back to normal real soon, I'm just going to chill out. You don't get the catalyst energy, the energy that you require to develop, design and recalibrate a new value system that you can bring into the world. We have to redesign how we serve as clients, what customers we need to work with. What are we actually offering them? What do we treat our employees and colleagues like? Everything's changed. So if we don't utilize this concept of burn your ships and understand that this catalyst is the one single biggest move towards digital transformation that we've ever seen, 
And if you were in the idea of digital transformation, because it was a nice thing to do in a box to tick inside your business or inside your career or inside your, your entrepreneurial drive, realize that now you don't have a choice. Now it is the survival or non-survival if you don't go digital. So what I've been saying is, look, pretend like we're not going back to normal. Utilize this energy and this time to design brand new. And if we do go back to some form of normal, congratulations, you've designed a new way to access the world. So this exactly what we're doing right now is us taking what we've always done and changing it up and try and add value in different ways. But whatever business you're in, there's always a new opportunity for you to take your existing skill and add to it something new, something fresh, something that you're more curious about and create a more unique offering to your clients. Beautiful. And it's so important because I think also that now, and I hear this from some clients I'm working with, and they're saying, you know, Elena, my, my salary is cut 30%. And, you know, in my business, you know, I have to let people go. But this time is, you know, we have a choice, essentially. And this is what, uh, what I, I hear from you as well, is that we have a choice that we can use this time towards putting that energy towards something to develop our skill to add value, and to find out what we want, because there could be a silver lining uh, in all of this as well. So and yeah no so look i didn't want to interject but this silver lining this is a very very important thing is because each and every one of us are being triggered on our own very personal survivor consciousness and we've all got very different survivor consciousnesses in different aspects of our lives some of us are creators when it comes to our career but are victims when it comes to money some of us are victims when it comes to relationships, but are creators when it comes to our own physical body. And so when we look at silver lining, you've got to ask yourself, where is this affecting me? Am I seeing this as it's happening to me or for me? And if you can get yourself into the state of for me, you then get the energy to want to start recreating. I just want to touch very quickly on the victim triangle and the creator triangle. And these two triangles and the characteristics within these two triangles have helped me immensely redesign my relationship with many different aspects of my life. And the truth is, just because I write about these things doesn't mean I don't fall a trap into sobbing sometimes for what's going on or becoming angry that my whole industry has been sort of speaking industry and lecture industry has just been gone to zero. So the people that are complaining about 30% cuts in your salary, remember that entrepreneurs have gone to zero. So, you know, there's, a, there's different layers of feeling bad for yourself. And so understand that the victim triangle has got three characteristics. And if you find yourself in any of these three characteristics, understand that you're not able to move forward. The first characteristic is the classic victim. Poor me. I can't believe this is happening to me. This is stopping me from getting what I wanted. I feel so bad for myself. I want to sulk all day and not get out of my pajamas. That's cool. Guess what you're creating? Absolutely nothing. The second characteristic that comes in this, it's called the drama triangle, a junior consciousness or victim, is the sympathetic person. Now, the sympathetic one is the savior, the person that has to feel sorry for the world and then has to go and save them. But really, the truth is, if you look at Oprah, she didn't go save anybody. She wanted to empower people, a very different energy. And so what we get stuck in is, I want to be sad for all those poor people out there that aren't having a good time. And you sitting in your apartment or house feeling sad for them, guess what that does? Absolutely nothing. You're actually just addicted to feeling sad. And I'm going to replace each one of these characteristics. So don't worry. The third one is being angry. 
oh, I'm angry with the government, I'm angry with China, I'm angry with the virus, I'm angry with my boss, I'm angry, I'm just angry with everybody. And if you were a victim before, or wanting to save the world before, angry uh, before, you just got 20 more, more reasons to be angry, a victim, or sympathetic. What we've got to do is become aware of these emotions and replace them. The first one, victim, feeling sorry for myself can get changed to creator. I don't need to feel sorry for myself. I need to access new energy to be able to recreate what I can bring as an impact to my world. Two, instead of feeling sorry for people, feel empathetic for them. Very big difference. I don't feel sorry for you. I see it from your perspective, and I'm going to try and coach you rather than save you. Very big difference. And third, instead of being angry, become a challenger. Challenge yourself to be better. Challenge people out there to be better rather than always looking for a fight. And remember, if you're addicted to watching the news, you're suffering from junior consciousness because what junior consciousness does, it gets us addicted to being anxious and sorry for the world. Guess what Crisis News Network does to us? CNN makes you angry, makes you uh, feel bad for yourself and sorry for people out there. So limit your time to news to 10 minutes a day. Just check the stats, see what the laws are like where you're living, and then get off it and become creative and look for ways to add value to the world. Absolutely. And um, some of the themes I also see emerging from this conversation is that you, you, it, it seems like we, we should definitely focus more on the positivity and the positive messages. And we know also the way the brain also processes information, the more positive things we feed ourselves, the more positive realities we actually create as a result. And um, another, another theme that comes out is curiosity. So being curious. So for those individuals that are maybe listening in and feel free to send your questions and comments and I'll address them in, in a few minutes. But many people are, again, are looking and they're saying, you know, I don't know, maybe some of them are losing their job and saying, okay, actually, maybe this is an opportunity for me to do something new. So this is where I think we can, you know, uh, look into, uh, you know, just driving ourselves to develop that curiosity and positive mindset. I said, what, this is an opportunity. This is, it's a challenge, but it's a, it could be, it could be a positive challenge to have. And, um, and I know you, uh, also with you guys and on expansive and some of the things you're doing with future Academy, you focus a lot on, um, on essentially taking ownership and, and responsibility for your own development. So, let go of being angry with the company. So, you know, let go of being angry with the, with the world. But what can you do today to progress yourself? So can you give just a couple of things? Let's say if people are online who are, you know, in fact, lost their jobs or don't know what's What do you think in terms of, you know, with access to technology and information we have today? What are some things they can be doing to upskill themselves to, you know, put them put their brand out there? OK, so great question. And before I answer it, I want to just take a step back. And realize that the world we come from, the industrial linear world, required us to fill a role or play a role in the factory line of production and efficiency. That's what the Industrial Revolution was about. How much more can you produce? How much more efficient can you be? And how much more profit can you make? A fantastic system for the linear analog world. We now find ourselves in the dynamic quantum digital world where we don't need to fit a role anymore the way we become celebrated now is by being unique, authentic, and curious. How many great doctors do you know? How many great lawyers do you know? How many great engineers do you know? How many great accountants do you know? There are so many clever people, which means that the minute you become part and parcel of those numbers, you become commoditized. And what happens when you become commoditized? There's a million accountants out there. So 
Just because you studied and you got your degree doesn't mean now you've got a guarantee of the job because they can let you go. Why? Because there's a thousand other accountants out there. So it's not about what you've done as a waste. It's about how can you fine tune it better to become more curious and more of a specialist for it. Now, remember, the world that we're moving into is not the surplus society we come from. The world we come from has got a surplus of all these careers and all these degrees. Well, we need to realize the world we're going to celebrates uniqueness. And this is the key point here of curiosity because you, Elena, and every single person listening to this and every single human being in the world is curious in their unique way. Nobody else is curious like you are. Nobody else is curious like I am. And so what happens, and the best example I can give you is me. I now travel the world. I was traveling the world. Now I sit at the farm in my parents' farm in the northern mountains of South Africa and have webinars all day with people around the world based on one thing, me sharing my fascination, my curiosity, and my uniqueness of combining human psychology, quantum science, neuroscience, futurism, and business strategy. Guess who else combines these? Nobody. I'm the only one who does it in my world. And now I can write books, become a bestseller, and get paid to speak to people around the world. So start by making sure you understand the characteristics that you're following. You're feeling sorry for yourself, you're feeling angry, or you're feeling like you want to save and be sympathetic. That means you're being a victim and you're stuck in junior consciousness. What you need to do is move into the creator consciousness and then start with one very important thing, a to-be list. Who do you want to be? What sort of world do you want to live in? And when you have a to-be list, it becomes very clear what you need to do. Because your discipline is a result of your to-be list. Give me an example. I want to lose weight. I decide, focusly decide, that who I want to be is somebody who's lean, flexible, and fit. When I've made that decision, guess what happens when my alarm clock goes off on Monday morning at 5 o'clock? I'm up at 4.55. Why? I made that decision. If I haven't made the decision, what happens when the alarm clock goes off? Snooze, snooze. Snooze. Why? Because you haven't decided. Yeah. And so if you want discipline in your life, have a to-be list. Get rid of your to-do list. It's irrelevant. What you want to do is have a to-be list and work backwards. And that's another point I make here is that most people can describe their next holiday when we used to have holidays better than they can describe the world they want to live in. They are victims to the world that their jobs have told them to live their society have told them to live, the culture that's told them to live. Who said you must live lives like that? You did, because you gave the permission to those worlds to tell you how you should be living. And so for me, it's if you don't know with as much clarity as possible what the world you want to live in, who you want to be, what role you want to play, how do you know you ever arrive? And so this is a fantastic time to not be angry and not feel sorry and take the opportunity to dive deep into your curiosity, become a specialist in your field, design the lifestyle you want, work backwards and watch magic happen around you. And this has happened to me. I've got so many stories of me being accepted as the first singularity faculty member in Africa was an absolute magic show. I can't even explain how it happened, but one thing led to another. I didn't even get interviewed. They just saw me online. Uh, I had a conversation with two or three key people that I didn't know were the head of faculty at Singularity, but because of my enthusiasm, they were so impressed by it, they gave me the job. I didn't even apply for it. And so you understand that magic happens around you when you become unique, curious, and really start to follow your to-be list rather than your to-do list. 
That's that's so on point. And and to be honest, another thing I I I, I hear um, in in the market in the moment is because we went digital. Many people now have to reach out online and have those, you know, conversations maybe about uh, business or work or whatever it may be. And oftentimes what's holding us back is that say, do I really have value to add? Do I, you know, uh, or I feel embarrassed or shy to follow up or to kind of, you know, take the, the initiative there. And what you're saying is that actually we all, every single one of us has something of value to add, um, uh, something unique. And it doesn't need to be benchmarked to so somebody else. It's just pure about you and your own uh, what you bring to the table. So the personal brand here is absolutely um, uh, on point here. And um, I have a question here I'll read out. So I mean, ask, is there a way to stop uh, constant uh, beeping in the background? Is it, oh, <laughs> no, we cannot. <laughs> Sorry, he's asking about something. No, 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 no. I switched it off. I switched it off. I had the chat open and I closed the chat. So I saw that question. That's okay. So, um, so just to bring okay. us back again, um, what you also talked about is kind of having that image. And I was listening to something, it could have been even from the expensive podcast for what you guys did. And it said, everything that we have around us right now is, has been imagined. It has been imagined. So it has been imagined in somebody's mind. So imagine if we are able to imagine our own realities, essentially. And this is so important in this case. And I think this is what's, um, it's such a simple a uh, simple thing to do is just to sit and to kind of think about what you want to be, but it might be a bit harder for some, of course, um, to do. But I think it's a very uh, important point look, here. Look, I, I, I want to I remind everybody that the 14th century had the Black Plague that devastated you know, the half of Europe, and that ended feudalism and was the beginning of the Italian Renaissance. We are going to have a Renaissance after this. In Africa, what many people do in the rural areas is they burn the fields of grass every end of summer or every end of winter, sorry. And what that does, it burns everything away and then new seeds are birthed out and you have brand new grass, brand new savanna and brand new plants. This is what's going on. This collapse that we're having is not just happening to you personally, it's happening to everybody, which means that when we come out of this, the renaissance that we're going to have, the new ways to be creative, the new ways to add value are going to be so fresh and so new and so amazing that we have an opportunity to develop brand new superstars, brand new multi-billion dollar businesses, brand new ways to impact billions of people. So you need to ask yourself a question. Are you going to be part of that renaissance? Or are you going to be sitting on the sidelines feeling sorry that your salary got cut by 30%? You understand that we are missing the point when we are feeling bad for ourselves or feeling sorry or feeling angry. We're not catalyzing ourselves into developing something new. And guess what? Every single human being has a pocket of genius above them. Every single person, no matter what it is that you love and you're curious about, that's your superpower. And the minute you find it, like Mark Twain said, I often say Mark Twain saying, he says the two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. When you find out why, ladies and gentlemen, it is like a flow state. Things just click and schmip and kick and the right people arrive. So do yourself a favor and take this time and figure out who you are and what you're about and why you're here on earth and what God has given you as gifts and propel yourself to add value to the world. Hmm. It's, it's, it's great, actually. I think it's a lot of opportunity for self-reflection in this. Um, and I know you, you, you do, you've done some coaching. You do some coaching. You were also, you took part in coaching. And somebody asked, where do you see the role of coaching or to more specific culture coaching in the upcoming future? 
So when you say culture coaching, what, what do you mean? You mean inside organizations? Yeah, I think they mean inside. Please, uh, please clarify, but I think it's a, uh, from an organizational perspective, it will be interesting to see this as well. So if you can answer that, yeah. Well, well, well look, I think as far as any, any, don't worry about coaching, but let's just talk about culture. Yeah. And if we understand that we are living in a hyper-transparent world, in a world that we watch characters as leaders, and no matter what they say out of their mouth, their actions are so loud, we can't hear a word you say. <laughs> we can see facial structures. When you're not being authentic, we can see it. We don't live in the old world anymore. So you can't lie about these things anymore. We're too smart. We're too sophisticated as human beings. And the truth is, is that this idea that we must always prioritize profit over everything else will be ending after this. I truly believe that we need a new economic system that prioritizes employees, communities, shareholders, and customers, moving away from shareholders to stakeholders. And the businesses that are stakeholder focused have the best cultures because they prioritize humans over cash. And guess what happens when you prioritize humans over cash? You make so much cash, you don't know what to do with it. And so the cultures that are driven by people first, planet first, and then profit are the ones that are going to be winning. And they will continue to win as we wake up and move away from consumer centricity to planet centricity. And this is the real key, because if you start to see that the governmental structures, the corporate ways of how they are um, perceived by consumers and shareholders and, and employees is all about planet centricity, human centricity, rather than consumers can try and get it to him or her as cheap as possible. I think that's really had its time now because cheap as possible means somebody's suffering. Cheap as possible means we are, we are ruining the earth somewhere. And so we need to grow up, we need to become more conscious, we need to wake up to the fact that long-term sustenance is what we should be after, not the cheap hits right now. Great. I hope that answers the question, Seb. And we have another question. Um, uh, continuous uncertainty, Naveen asks, continuous uncertainty is changing our plan every week. How, come our, how can we plan for this month could be best fit for the future? It's a great question, actually. Yeah. So great question. I've been telling my clients we are in sprint strategies. In other words, you have one week to plan for and then you don't know what else you're planning for after that. So you're not alone. But the point is, is that you, it's not about knowing the outcome. That's the biggest problem about human beings. We want certainty and there is no more certainty. That is the truth. The certainty that we had was in the last century and the centuries before that. We're not in a future that's certain anymore. That's why IQ needs to be replaced by AQ. And AQ is adaptability quotient. It's not about how clever you are. It's about how flexible you are. It's not about economies of scale. It's about economies of learning. In other words, how quickly can you unlearn to relearn so you're constantly relevant? And the only way you can stay adaptable, flexible, and optimistic is if you follow curiosity over logic. And curiosity doesn't need the outcome. Curiosity is just having fun in itself, figuring new things out. I'll give you again, my, I can only tell you from my experience of my life is on the screen, you'll see my first book, What's Your Moonshot, Magnetize and Foresight. I was busy writing my fourth book called Evolution of Value. And guess what happened? COVID-19 happened and the book became kind of irrelevant. Now, if I was expecting that to happen and I'm not angry that it didn't happen, I would have never started writing two new books. And so you'll see future now, which is what we're talking about now. I started writing that book, quick ebook, 
five or 6,000 words, much more relevant to what's going on right now. And then the next book coming out next week is Future How, which is a guidebook on the new economic system that I believe we need to be building. And then after that, I'll follow Future Next, which will then decide on the trends that we're going to be following. Now, remember, if I wasn't curious about my topic and only logical about it, I'd be incredibly angry and pissed off and upset that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So the question with all respect should be, how do I find my curiosity? How do I become adaptable? So no matter what comes in the future, I'm ready. Great. And I'm just going to bring out a couple of comments and then a question. So Arifa said, now Darwin's survival of the fitted looks more meaningful. Yes. Um, Yes. Sepp will come back to you on the culture coaching as well. Um, Somebody also asked, um, somebody commented and a question says, absolutely agree. There's a paradigm paradigm shift, but given the population paradigm shift, shift, uh, given the population today versus first century reference you made, where do you see things going? Not to, not to mention the communication tools we have available to us. So where do you see things so, going? So sorry, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get the context of that question. Just say that to me again. So it, basically, I, I think uh, he, when you're referring to kind of back in the day and the things we used, the, the way we used to do things back in the day, um, obviously we're not there now. So where do you see the future going with the technology we have available today, with the access to information, with the globalized, connected world? Um, where do I, I, Sid? I assume this is what you meant. This is what I'm getting from this. Okay. Well, look. I, I, what I think is that remember that. What got competition to be competition was certain people having access to certain types of information. Guess what? The whole world now has access to the same information. What does that mean? That means we don't need to compete anymore. Now we need to collaborate. Because if we all now accessing Google and have all the same information, we need to help each other. We don't need to compete anymore. There's more than enough abundance around the world to keep everybody happy. And so what we have to do is become more conscious and more um, long-term in our views around adding value to the world and to be able to create an economic system that's joyful for everybody. We don't need to be competing dog-eat-dog world anymore because we're not motivated by safety and security. We're motivated by collaboration and cooperation. So the future for me and the future that I want to live in, and I'm sure you'll all agree with me, is one of possibility. Don't come to me with, well, the reality, John. Well, the reality is your reality. You choose what your reality is. For me, it's the possibility of the movement we could create that humanity can become conscious, wake up, and treat each other with a way that is long-term and focused. And right now, what we're starting to see is this level of hyper-collaboration happening around the world where even Google and Apple are now not competing but collaborating to help track people's health. So I do believe, and what I want to keep pressing forward is the narrative of the possibility of a better world for all. Hmm. A lot of the things that you talk about uh, and uh, the the thought process that you have essentially comes from a specific mindset. Uh, And, you know, uh, some people have a certain mindset to kind of say, yes, I see possibility, but not everybody. And sometimes we need that extra push from external factors, maybe from our environment. So, you know, maybe the things that we're reading, that what we're doing, who we're talking to. So I want to bring your attention to this. And somebody asked, uh, first they said it's fascinating. Ashar said it's fascinating so far. And what did you consume? So books, talks, workshops to get where your thought process is now. And what do you now consume to keep pushing forward? So I think it's an excellent question. Um, And if I may add, the books you have right in front of you is what you should start with because they're just brilliant (laughs) talking about books and talks. But please, what did you you do? Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the thing for me. 
Great question, but I, I want to readjust the question. What we've got to realize is that all human beings are made up of memories. All of us, every single one of us have got memories. And those memories determine how we perceive the world and what we project onto the world. So if your memory is that the world is a dangerous place, guess what? You look for danger and you'll find it. If you are a woman that has been abused in her past, please God know. But if you are, what will happen is that men become dangerous and you avoid them. If men, if you've been in a business with somebody who stole from you, every businessman or business partner you look at in the future becomes somebody that could be potentially a thief. And guess what? You'll be confirming it continuously because that is your belief system. So before I start adding anything new into me, I have to clear my past. And I've got to be really, really clear on this because this is by far one of the most important things that people don't speak about is that the way you prepare for the future is by healing your past first. So you don't recreate those expectations and those projections into the future. So number one, look at your memories. Science has now proven that 50% of our memories are false. You don't have to worry about which 50% are false. What you want to do is look at your past, look for the patterns in your past that make you upset, sad, resentful, or angry. Heal those. Everybody that you have an issue with is your subjective story of what happened. Everybody that you have an issue with had their own issues. If they were malicious and horrible and abusive to you, you need to find it in yourself to forgive them because if you don't, they'll be with you forever and you'll continuously find them in your reality. So that's step one, because if you don't clear up your basement, then whatever you build on top of it will always be on the structure of that hurt and the pain. The second thing is, the question is, what I fill my brain with and what I read is very different to what you should be reading, because what you should be reading is what fascinates you. What is it that fascinates you? Is it gardening? Is it swimming? Is it knitting? Is it cars? Is it hairdressing? I mean, it can be a myriad of different topics. What fascinates me and what I read is a very personal process because that's what fascinates me. Nobody forces me to read anything. Just I don't actually even ask anybody what they read. I just kind of like move into YouTube. I find something. I listen to a podcast and I'm constantly looking at the things that fascinate me. But anything that talks about masculinity, how do I heal my masculine patterns? How do I heal the lineage that I come from when my father didn't know what it means to be a mature, sacred masculine so I can bring that energy of kindness naturally into the world? I read a lot about that. I also read a lot about mental agility, mental fitness, mental processing through understanding neuroscience. So anything to do with neuroscience or quantum science, and my favorite teacher there is a gentleman called Dr. Joe Dispenza. I constantly speak about him. He's a fantastic teacher. I highly recommend you look him up. Then as far as futures are concerned, I follow obviously Singularity University. You can get onto their blogs. You can, um, every day they send out one or two blogs about the future. You can get onto Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. They send out a monthly blog about societal shifts. And then I read a lot from Boston Global Consulting. I read a lot from Harvard and from uh, Forbes. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm a, what the type of person I am is I'm a generalist specialist. I look at a myriad of different topics and then combine them to bring something forward. Other people are deep specialists. They only like one or two things and they dive deep into them. So the question again is, not what I'm involved in, is what, you sh what should you be involved in 
What does make you most excited? Not what your mom and dad told you to study, not what society told you to do, what not gives you the best salary. What is it that you are there to get excited about? What accesses your genius? And then combine that curiosity with having a healed past. And now that combination makes you adaptable, flexible, optimistic, and full of energy. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. Um, that's a tweetable moment, as somebody would say, right? <laughs> um, and I think it's a, it's a good point you bring up, because if you're not interested, if you're not curious about your particular topics, you're going to eventually just drop off and lose the motivation to even yeah. pursue it. And, you know, yeah. both you and I know, if you're not passionate about the things that you're doing, it's very easy to get demotivated. And, uh, you know, and this is where really I, I look up to you a lot in this way, because you are so passionate. We can even see it through this web. You are so passionate about what you're talking about and you're genuinely interested to where we're interested, right? And we're curious. So it's, uh, I think it's a powerful thing. Uh, and somebody Thank else, you. Sepp also asked, what are your thoughts about doing humanitarian uh, activities that have a positive social impact and how important the aspect of making the world a better place is a futuristic concept, basically? So uh, Peter Diamandis, one of the founders of Singularity University, says everybody should aim to be the new type of billionaire. And the new type of billionaire is somebody who impacts a billion people's lives positively. I think that's really a beautiful statement that he mm -hmm. came up with. But I think also ask yourself first, how do I first fill up my glass and then become a humanitarian? Don't dive straight into becoming a humanitarian because that's also just a crutch because it's the right thing to do. I disagree. I think the right thing to do is find out why God put you on earth, then do what you need to do. Because the best thing you could do for your children, for your community, for your marriage, for your friends, is to be the best version of yourself. Heal your past, become curious, become a thought leader and a specialist in what makes you tick, and then allow that to become a humanitarian process. And being a humanitarian doesn't mean you're going to go help poor people. You could even help very wealthy people become conscious and wake up. So I think I'm a humanitarian, but I'm not working in villages and townships. I'm helping people all around the world take more responsibility in waking up and becoming better versions of themselves. So don't get caught up in the concept that I must do I must become a philanthropic person. That will become an extension of you when you are your fullest self. So dive deep into who you are and allow that to become your guiding light of how you add value to the world. And remember, when you access your genius, when you access who you are, you realize that it's endless energy. You can continuously give it forever. It's a stream of energy that just comes through you. And you know, another example I can give you is I record my books for Audible myself. And sometimes when I'm in the, in the booth and recording it, I tell the music guy, stop, like the recording guy, I'm like, stop, wow, this passage is so amazing. And I, and I wrote it, but I can't even remember writing it at all. And so that really shows you that when you're in that state of flow, you do things that are just adding value naturally. So you don't have to worry about being a humanitarian. You'll naturally become one because when you make decisions with your heart, that's the obvious scenario. Mm, yes. And, and so as you, maybe you would say then we, we as humans need to create the future. That was Seb's follow-up question as he says, so do we leave the future to create ourselves or do we actually create it? And from what it sounds like, it's, you know, we have the capabilities to create the future that we want uh, on an individual level, first of all, and then collectively as well. And as we wait for more questions to come in, so guys, feel free to drop some more questions, comments, uh, just your feedback. And somebody asked about coaching. And if you have a couple of tips maybe of 
you know, how, you know, how does one uh, get into coaching? Somebody asked earlier, I'm trying to get to, but just said, if there's anything, any tips you can, you can suggest. Sure. Uh, so yeah, great question. I mean, look, there are a thousand million types of coaches and it's not just about being a coach. It's about how do you teach what you're really good at? Because you could be a, look, I'm a coach, but what format I follow, I follow my format. I, I don't have a format I follow. I follow what has worked for me, and that's the way I coach. You also get coaches that help you eat better, sleep better, train better, have a better relationship, have a, whatever it is, I'm a true believer in paying people for help, getting them to help me with their speciality. So whatever their speciality may be, if I'm expecting people to hire me for my speciality, because I can see things you can't see based on my speciality, there's other people out there that can see things that you can't see. So it's a fantastic thing to go and pay them for that service. But before you worry about becoming a coach, again, ask yourself a question. What is it that makes you most excited? Not being a coach, but what is it the skill set that really gets you juiced up and fired up? And then get into a process of writing about it, coaching about it, speaking about it, starting businesses about it, and adding that value to the world. There's a great saying by Yogi Bhajan who brought Kundalini Yoga from the East to the West. And he said, if you wanna learn something, read it. If you wanna understand something, write about it. And if you wanna master something, teach it. And so when you get to the point of wanting to master your topic, the best way you can do that is by writing, teaching, and speaking, and building businesses based on it. You know what I love about having a conversation with you is that you are truly a, um, a, uh, a person who is a generalist specialist. So I love it that we can bring in different topics and different kind of questions uh, that are all very relevant and related to the future. So I, as a follow-up, um, Stuart also asked, as business world adapts to circumstances created by COVID-19, we're seeing immense cost cutting. How do you position yourself as a business coach and your service so that you're still a priority among uh, current business agendas? Very good question. And look, many businesses are in cost cutting and there are some businesses that are booming because of what's going on. Firstly, change your target to the booming businesses. Secondly, you don't have to do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Now you can coach 200 people who pay you $10 each. You can change the business model of how you go about coaching. And also for me, I used to fly around the world and do talks on stages. Now I can't do that. So now I'm starting to write eBooks, doing more webinars, learning more about those things, selling tickets of per head towards workshops rather than being paid by corporate to go and do talks for them specifically. So I'm doing what I'm doing, but I've changed who I'm targeting, how I'm pricing it. And also because I'm not traveling, my costs are lower myself, which means I can charge differently and price myself differently. So look, a lot of businesses are closing down and a lot of businesses are booming. Change your focus, change who you're working with and try and focus on those sort of people that are booming. Thank you. And just um, so Another thing I appreciate about you is that you keep things real. So, and just to kind of uh, keep things real in this webinar as well. So it, it, some people might be wondering, you know, John, it's great. And it's in theory, yes, we can go and we can kind of transform ourselves and we can follow our passion. But in reality, we also know that not everybody's able to do that. So 
you know, maybe in theory it's nice, but what if not everybody has the privilege to follow the passion because they're too worried about kind of putting, you know, the food on the table for the kids to, you know, responsibilities. And in regions like the Middle East where, you know, we have certain cultural things and, and you know, where you come from and what's the passport that you hold and these sort of things that can prevent somebody from actually following the passion or having access to certain things. What do you say about that? Look, I, I, obviously, it's tougher for some people than it is for others. One, because of your gender, maybe. Two, because of the cultural nuances that your family have pressured you under or religious pressures that you're under. So I take all of that and I, I'm sorry that you're going through that. And I understand that it's not as easy for everybody. But if you quietly, inside your mind, don't look at the problems and look at the opportunities and keep having a love affair with your curiosity, and you'll remember, everybody on this talk, I mean on this call, has been in love once or twice in their lives. And what happened when you fell in love? All you wanted to do was be with that person that you were in love with, right? But so, if you fall in love with your curiosity, at every waking moment and every gap that you have, you'll engage with this new curiosity. And what happens slowly but surely, the more you engage with this new curiosity, you become really, really good at it. And as you become really, really good at it, you'll be surprised that people want to pay you to bring about that speciality to them, whether it's through a call or through something on the side. It doesn't have to be taking away any time it on the side and slowly but surely that little side project the little side hustle that is based on your curiosity what gives you most joy and energy and love in the world slowly starts becoming a bit of a bigger pie that you start doing and when your family starts seeing you that you're being so happy and so enthused they will initially might have a bit of an issue with it but slowly but surely they'll start to realize that this is what gets you to come alive this is what gets you to add most value to the world and so then slowly but surely you can start moving and stepping into it there's no silver bullet it's about a process of daily moment by moment decisions of either complaining being angry or being sad and rather looking for opportunities and seeing new ways for you to wake up and add value. So no matter what situation you're in, you can start slowly or you can start very fast, but you can start. And I think that's the key here. Don't just fall back and say, well, society. Oh, well, family. Oh, well, I'm a woman. No, there are so many heroes in the world that have broken, that broken those chains of stories and narratives that we've told ourselves. And look, you might upset people around you, but you know why you're upsetting them? Because you're not fitting into their expectation of who you should be. And so how long will you live in somebody else's expectation of who you should be? It's just, it's, you'll never be happy. Just to try and keep them happy, you'll never be happy, which means that you'll always resent them eventually. So yes, you might have a small argument here or there, or might be a big one, but ultimately, if you start following your heart, and God has given you your heart and your curiosity for a reason, it's not, it's not just by mistake. This is what's happened. You know, everybody's got a role to play to add value to you, the greatness of humanity. So for me, it's start. Don't use any excuses to hold you back. Utilize them as a catalyst to move forward. Great. And um, to follow up on that, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the opportunities that are out there around education and um, in terms of, you know, how can we educate ourselves? Yet, from my perspective, especially when I work with higher education institutions, there's such a, just a disconnect completely between <laughs> higher education institutions and the reality of the world of work. And is the education, does, does it need to change? And you being an educator, how do you see it should be changing when we're talking about um, educational platforms, universities, whatever it may be? Look, I mean, we all know that education is outdated. 
We all know it. We still go do it because we're still stuck because we're in this transition phase between two different types of society, the future, futuristic, adaptable world. But we still got our parents and culture and everything else behind us telling us that we must become an accountant. We must become a doctor. And because this indoctrination and the story has been so prevalent in our lives, we still follow through with it without even realizing that we are actually going against what the future looks like. So look, I don't think anybody can tell you what the future of education looks like. I do see that the Scandinavian world is doing some incredible things around um, education. And what they've done is they're not teaching subject by subject, they're putting kids into a farm and teaching them how to run a farm for six months. And in that farm, you learn language, mathematics, because you have to sell eggs, uh, you learn geometry because you have to build a bit of a, a hen uh, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, a house. And so they're teaching the subjects in more practical terms. And I think we'll start to see that education will not only become something we do as children, but on a continuous basis, as the world starts changing more and more, we need to be have continuous education of unlearning and relearning. But I also think that education will morph into two types of education the mental skills that we need to develop and the emotional strength that we need to start looking at. Because no matter how skilled you are, if you have a bad relationship with money, can't make any money, no matter how clever you are. And how many people know very, very clever people that don't know how to make money or spend money. And so what we have to learn is healing our emotional states to create the capacity to excel at the skills that we've been taught and learning based on what's prevalent in that um, period of time based on your curiosity. So that combination will definitely become the future. And this is what we're doing at Future Self Academy, my platform, is we're trying to help people develop soft skills. And these soft skills are the underlying containers that create success. Hmm. And speaking of soft skills, do you think that there's any correlation about, you know, especially the person that you are today, has it come from uh, the fact that you come from a multicultural background, perhaps the fact that you got to travel around the world. So if you were to bring in the, the, the cross-cultural kind of knowledge, so somebody asked, they said, has it, does, does it actually, um, you know, does it play a role in somebody's upbringing, being able to see the world from so many different perspectives and just different cultural backgrounds? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I come from a single mom family. We didn't have money to buy a yo-yo when I was a kid. So no, I mean, I, I didn't have anything. I was playing with my BMX and in a forest with rocks because we just were financially challenged my whole life. Um, what I did do though, uh, which, was, which became a detrimental thing actually later in my life, is I promised myself at eight years old that I'll never be poor. Because I, I was frustrated with not having pocket money, I was frustrated with seeing my mom struggle every month and she couldn't make it to the end of the month. I made a decision that I'll never be poor. That catalyzed me to drive myself to make money no matter what. And so I made myself sick. I lost friendships just so that I could make money. And there's a very key difference between catalyzing yourself from not being something to being something. In other words, the question you need to ask yourself, and Elena, you've heard this on the podcast that we do because it's a big subject, is are you running away from the darkness or are you running towards the light? And if you're running away from the darkness, the darkness will always catch you. What I was doing was running away from poverty. It catalyzed me to make money and understand things and put myself into high demand businesses and take lots of risk. But ultimately it made me sick and it got me to lose lots of friendships. And then I went bankrupt because I was running away from poverty. And guess what? Whatever you're running away from will catch you. And so then I started redesigning my life and saying, okay, well, 
I wasn't happy when I didn't have money. I wasn't happy when I had money because guess what? All I wanted was a bit more because that's what happens when you're running away from darkness. You never have enough. And then when I went bankrupt, I was unhappy again. So what has catalyzed me into this place is my desire to create more fluidity in my life. That's brought me to a place of having money to travel. But I wasn't somebody who traveled when I was younger. It was the desire. And the desire sometimes comes from pain. It doesn't always have to come from love. And I think that a lot of people that are very successful initially drive themselves from pain and then hit a wall. And that wall is sickness, divorce, bankruptcy, one of those things. And then you wake up and hopefully you learn the lessons and hopefully you become more aware and conscious and you then start driving towards building something rather than running away from something. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of the things we talk about, um, we talk about kind of, our own mindset here and how we create the future for ourselves and following our passions and, and what drives us. And somebody also asked that, and, and I've heard this question before from several conversations I've had over, over the years is uh, because I talk a lot about these topics as well in terms of, you know, you really need to focus on yourself and developing yourself. But then um, some people may say, well, isn't that selfish? Isn't that selfish to then focus on ourselves because sometimes we need to put other people, especially those who, let's say, if you have kids or if you have, you know, uh, elderly parents or just significant others, whoever yeah. they may be, you know, and I've heard this before as well from my side, but I'm curious what you think about it is, you know, sure. isn't it selfish for us to only focus on what we want and pursuing our passion? Sure. Look, of course, I think there's two ways to look at this. The one way is I'm being selfish, I'm doing this only for me, and it's my time, I don't care, I'm not giving anybody else any energy. Or you can look at it and say, I'm doing this to be self-first. In other words, I wanna be the best version of myself for the people I love. I wanna be the best version for myself to set an example for the people I love. And you inspire people around you to provide the tool sets and the time it takes to just put the energy into yourself. Ask yourself what makes you come alive. And in that process, you can give more to your elderly parents. You can give more to your children. And I had this discussion with somebody online. And look, before I even say it, this is a very personal story for me because I don't believe the old adage was the man must go work and the woman must stay home. I don't believe that. And I think the best thing you could do with your children is not spend time with them, but become the best version of yourself and then spend time with them. Because if you do that, just in your actions, your children are inspired to become the best versions of themselves. And then what you have is you have two parents who are the best versions of themselves. And now the children are excited and inspired. In fact, everybody around you will be excited and inspired. So yes, you can be selfish and you can be self-first. And you decide how you want to come at it with that. For me, it's definitely a self-first thing. And look, I'm doing this for free. I'm writing these books for free. Is that selfish? No, but I had to do an incredible lot of work to put myself in a state of abundance, of clarity, of courage, and of state of flow to be able to be generous. Now, if I hadn't done that work and I called myself selfish, I wouldn't be here. Mm. So we also need to determine the perspective we have around it. Yes, and Danny also added, you can't pour from an empty cup. I learned that the hard way. Love that exactly, term, self first over selfish. So we have a, a time yeah. for just 
Uh, one more question, and um, I, you guys have excellent questions, and I think we can do this for hours, but, and Sarah also mentioned, uh, definitely we need to focus more on emotional intelligence as well, um, and uh, somebody asked about the creative triangle, uh, and um, uh, Adam also shared it's that it's, it's in a book, yes, it's, it's in, in a book, it's in book yeah. and um, uh, Yvonne, if you can also drop the, again, the link to the ebook, uh, we've shared it earlier, but I'm afraid it's just kind of up at the top now. So there's the book as well. You guys can download the. Uh, uh, this is the ebook. Look, um, if you go to if you go to my Instagram, it's a link in my bio. The link in my bio leads you straight to the downloadable book. And um, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. I'm lucky to be the only John Sane. My lucky stars. There's no other John Sane. So if you don't find it, just Google it and it'll pop up. Yes, and I've dropped the, the podcast. It's called The Expansive. It's on Apple Podcasts. You guys can check it out. It's brilliant. And Spotify. And Spotify. Spotify as well, yes. Mm -hmm. And the last question I'll take um, is, uh, Sid asked, you know, if you can offer some tips about how did you find your calling? And is there, is there, um, oh, I've lost it now. Anyway, how did you find your calling? Is there, is there a time? Is there a place? Or how does it work? How does one find his calling or her calling? Yeah, really great question. I think we all find our calling at different times. Um, I don't think it's a set time. I don't think it's something that I think everybody has their own um, opportunity to access their genius. And the person I always use is Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber found out that he's a musician genius when he was like six years old. He was playing drums at home and put it on YouTube and better bang, bitty bing at 16 years old. He's a global superstar. He found what he was about. I only found my purpose at 40. I had to go through an incredibly painful divorce that shattered my reality that I then started asking new questions about what I want to do and how I want to go about living my life. So look, I think ultimately the question is fantastic. The question should be on top of mind. You should be doing the coaching, the, 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 the process driver drivers that get you to get closer to it. And ultimately what it's about is about opening your heart because all our energy is in our hearts, our creative power is in our hearts. And without sounding too esoteric, if you just look at the science around the emissions of energy your heart give compared to your brain, your heart is much more powerful. So accessing your genius and your curiosity through your heart gives you a better opportunity to get to your purpose and sooner than before. So if you're following a job you don't like or you're doing something that somebody told you that you must do, or you're doing only something because you don't want to upset somebody, or you're doing it just for money, guess what? You're nowhere near your purpose. And so you have to break away from the shackles of expectations of yourself, family, society, and whatever else is around you in order to access it. And then you become the best version of yourself and you actually can give much more to those people that were upset with you that you didn't fit into their expectation. Great. And I think that's a beautiful end to this conversation, really. I think that's a great way to, to wrap this up as well. John, really, thank you so much. Um, it has been thank super you. valuable. I think there's a lot of key takeaways and, and people messaging and saying they really gained something from this. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, you know where to find John on his Instagram, on LinkedIn. Connect with us as well. Uh, you have his books. Highly recommend the podcast. Um, I absolutely. I think you guys will find a lot of value there. And uh, again, thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for being with us. My absolute pleasure. Everybody, good luck out there. Try and find the silver lining as soon as possible. Catalyze yourselves for the renaissance. It's coming. Be part of it. And yeah, reach out on social media and say hi. Love to hear from you and uh, sending you all lots of love from the northern mountains of South Africa. Ciao. Bye. Bye.